You're listening to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, where we firmly believe food should fuel your life, not restrict it. Each week, one of our registered dietitian nutritionists will motivate and educate you with accurate and reliable nutrition information to help you achieve your health goals using food. Whether you struggle with yo-yo dieting, weight loss, portion control, or simply just understanding the right eating patterns to get real, lasting results, you're in the right place. I'm Dietitian Kate, nutrition expert, ex-cardio bunny turned barbell junkie, and your host for today's episode. Are you ready to dive in? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, friends in the podcasting world. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am stoked that you guys are taking time to listen to today's episode. It's a great one. We are getting extreme. Like, you can consider this the X Games of nutrition. Oh, God. Saying that out loud. (laughs) Dorky. Anyway, we're talking about extreme diets, arguably the two most extreme diets that have quite a buzz around them lately, and that is the vegan diet and the carnivore diet. If you've never heard of the carnivore diet, just buckle up because your mind's gonna be blown. I mean, it is crazy. However, my goal for this episode is to help you understand that while there are extremes when it comes to dieting, it doesn't mean that one is better than the other, and it doesn't mean that you have to take sides. It simply means that you can adopt principles from either side and form your own approach to eating based on your values, your lifestyles, your food preferences, your goals, and you can morph two different ways of eating into your own super special personalized diet. Before we start reviewing both of these diets, I really want to be transparent. As a registered dietitian, I am confident in my ability to provide personalized recommendations for eating and weight loss with my clients based on their own specific needs. However, all healthcare providers have our biases, just like you have a bias in whatever profession that you work in. It's important for me not to project my own experiences with eating and weight loss on my clients. My business partner and fellow registered dietitian at Nutrition Awareness, her name is Megan Ware, she inspired me to actually test fad and extreme diets for this and several reasons, which I will explain here. First of all, testing extreme diets like the vegan diet helps us see through the lens of our clients and the people we help. So if you came into my office and you felt really, really strongly about a certain diet, I am better able to empathize and understand your point of view when I've experienced the diet myself. Or if you have questions and you're unsure about how you might react or how to make a certain diet fit, I am better able to not only speak from the science evidence and anecdotal evidence, but my own personal experience as well. So testing extreme diets isn't about getting some kind of result or losing weight or whatever. 
It's to better help you guys. Also, testing these extreme diets help me break through my own preconceived notions and that bias about diets. I mean, it's easy for us dietitians to brush off any alternative eating pattern that doesn't align with our own idea of healthy, but how can we disregard anecdotal observations that people are having if we don't actually experience the diet ourselves? So when we're in dietitian school, we're taught and educated extensively about optimal patterns of eating. But we can't just brush off new findings, new research, and new experiences from the people that we serve. So that being said, as dietitians, we have a responsibility to not only look at the science-based evidence when it comes to nutrition, but marry that with the anecdotal evidence that we have available to us in real time. In past episodes, we have described the field of nutrition as the wild, wild west because there is so much we don't know for certain yet about food, and that's the facts. It's important for you as a listener to understand that nutrition is a relatively new field because this is what separates dietitians from the nutrition coaches because we are looking at the evidence that we have now and helping you take that evidence and translate it into your own life. So dietitians, we have a professional obligation and an ethical standard to uphold to be transparent about the evidence or lack thereof evidence supporting any kind of nutrition claim or recommendation. The purpose of this is to keep you safe, which is our number one priority, closely followed with getting you results to make you healthier, whatever that means for you. See, nutrition coaches or health coaches, they don't always have professional credentials or licenses, meaning their repercussions to giving shitty advice is are quite low. I mean, they can sell you a bogus meal plan that they just have saved on their desktop and send to a gazillion people, or they can share an affiliate link with you to some goofy supplement to make a buck, and it doesn't put their career at as high risk from a liability standpoint, okay, which is not cool. Not saying that all nutrition or health coaches do this. There's a lot of people out there who are really doing meaningful work, but why not just get your nutrition and diet support from a professional? Just don't risk it, okay? So if you do want to get nutrition advice from a professional, uh, shameless plug here, me and Megan are your go-to gals. Anyway, to get back on track, this is why we try extreme diets ourselves, because we don't want to take sides and we don't want to push an agenda saying things like, oh, the vegan diet is the only way to eat, or keto is the worst thing you can do for your health. No, anybody who takes a one-way approach to eating is typically extremely biased or a gimmick in my opinion. The best way to break through that is to experience it yourself. And, you know, in a similar vein, Trying different diets helps me understand the good and the bad, draw from both, and use what I learned to serve my clients. And I bring this up again because I'm in the midst right now of doing the vegan diet as a vegan January challenge. As a Midwest gal born and raised on meat and potato kind of meals, I never thought I could do a vegan diet. Like, I would say that out loud saying, like, I could never do a vegan diet, but Hey, you guys, it's the things that we say we could never do that we actually must do. So if you find yourself trying to talk yourself out of something, that's probably a sign that you should reconsider and and try it. Because when you can push yourself, you can really prove to yourself that you can break through your own mental limits. 
So prior to this challenge, I can't remember going more than maybe one, maybe two meals in a row that didn't have any animal products. And for reference, I'm 25 years old, so <laughs> it's a long time to not have two vegan meals in a row. I mean, eggs, Greek yogurt, chicken, salmon, and chocolate are staples in my diet. But I am coming to you on day 18 of 31 of Vegan January, and I am so thankful that Megan pushed me to challenge myself because it's completely flipped the script for me on how I view the vegan diet. I do have some bias stemming from the vegan culture, and that's my own fault. I own it. See, I would be online and I would see vegan activists online just rip the heads off anyone who dared question them. And since I was playing for the omnivorous team, I took their attacks personally. It was a lot easier for me to just side with the non-vegans because, hey, I was already on that sideline. However, now that I have immersed myself in the diet, and I wouldn't say I've immersed myself in the culture because I'm doing it strictly for test reasons only, I can very well understand why vegans rave about their diet. I mean, I'm an avid carb lover, and this diet has been a breeze for me because of that. I mean, I feel pretty great. And while this diet does require more thought and planning ahead, I'm already conditioned to meal prep and think about what my next few meals are going to look like. So meal planning and preparing advanced has been a valuable asset for me in this diet. However, this is a valuable habit regardless of the dietary pattern that you're following because when you're not prepared with what you're going to eat, you put yourself in a position where it's a lot easier to make poor decisions. And if you're a client of mine, you know this. You know that planning ahead, whether that is meal prepping for you or looking at a menu or having things ready to go in your house that are quick and fit your needs is a must. Megan and I are going to go in depth about our experience on the vegan diet later in the episode, later this week in an episode, closer to the end of our challenge. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, so you don't miss it. We're going to go in detail about the experiences we're having with our digestion, with, for me, my my menstrual cycle, our weight, our, I know Megan's been bruising and she's going to go into detail about that, so you don't want to miss that. However, I wanted to be really transparent with you guys and let you know that while I am recording this, where I'm talking about the different extreme diets, I am following a vegan diet, but I have no intention of sticking to it 100% after January 31st. When that clock strikes midnight, if I'm still awake, I'm having ice cream, the non-dairy kind. (laughs) Okay, just kidding. I don't know about that. I, I don't even remember the last time I was up past midnight. But again, we're going to go into that in more detail on a later episode. But back to the present episode, we're discussing the extremist of the extreme diets, vegan and carnivore. Again, these are all over Twitter. They're all over YouTube. Everyone's talking about these diets and they each have their own raving fan base. If you are interested in nutrition at all and you are on social media looking at stuff, I'm sure you have seen this yourself. But let's start with veganism since we're already on the topic. Now, if you want an in-depth discussion about which foods are allowed and not allowed on the vegan diet, listen to the most recent episode before this, episode 41. I go into a lot of detail about what you can and can't eat, but here are the cliff notes. 
essentially vegans don't eat any animal product and for the sake of this challenge and to abide by the strictest of vegan rules, that's what we're going with. This is no meat, no fish, no poultry, no dairy, no eggs, and as a result, a lot of foods are off limits because those are ingredients in many different dishes, including anything baked with eggs or milk or cooked in butter with traces of dairy or milk byproduct. A lot of vegans also avoid honey because it's created by bees in an animal. So you might not be allowed to have honey depending on what kind of vegan diet you follow. I wanna go through first the biggest challenges of this diet. The first being eating enough of the nutrients to meet your daily requirements. Okay, so if you're a vegan or a vegetarian listening to this, I guarantee you get asked on a weekly, if not daily basis, how do you get your protein? All right, yeah, protein is one of the three macronutrients that are, let's see, I don't want to say difficult to get on a vegan diet because it's really not difficult if you plan ahead, but it's just less likely that you're going to eat as much as somebody who's following an omnivorous diet just because a lot of things with protein are off limits. People are also asking vegans and vegetarians how they get their iron and vitamin B12. So here's where planning is key. Let's start with protein. It is certainly possible to eat enough protein on a vegan diet. However, it does take some forethought and you have to be mindful of your own specific protein needs. So if you are doing intense athletic training or strength training, You're going to need a little bit more than somebody who's not exercising at all, right? I recommend most people consume at least 18 to 30 grams of protein per meal. And that's just not as easy when a four ounce chicken breast or cup of Greek yogurt can't do the trick for you. See, plant-based sources of protein always double as a carbohydrate and or a fat. So this means while, for example, beans have protein, they're mostly a carbohydrate. And just as peanut butter or nuts are mostly fats with some protein, they're not pure protein like a chicken breast would be, where a chicken breast is mostly protein with small amounts of fat and no carbohydrate. Does that make sense? I explain this in detail in episode 40. So as somebody who has been eating a high-protein diet, which I would say before this challenge I was eating at least 110 to 100 grams of protein per day, if not more, to support rigorous strength training, not getting enough protein was a limiting fear in my mind. I was very, very um, resistant to the vegan diet because I was unsure if I'd be able to maintain such a high protein diet. And then I was worried that I would be hungry all of the time because protein is very satiating. But choosing high protein carbohydrates as the highlight of my plate and having veggies, fats, and smaller servings of starches as the side dishes really made eating adequate amounts of protein a breeze. For instance, I'll eat four to five ounces of extra firm tofu as the main course. And then on the side, I'll have tons of different veggies. I might have some avocado, and then a smaller serving of starch that also happen to have trace amounts of protein like quinoa or beans on the side. Then if I'm still hungry, I'd eat something like fruit for dessert. Now, it's definitely not hard to eat more carbs than usual on a vegan diet because carbohydrates, I mean, there's not many carbohydrates that aren't allowed on the vegan diet. If there are, they are also combined with animal products like, you know, Greek yogurt that's sweetened. But if you're eating a diet 
that is composed of primarily quality carbohydrates from whole food sources, eating a lot of carbohydrates is not a bad thing at all. In fact, I find it to be wonderful. It works really well for me. Not saying it would work for everyone, but here's why it works for me very well. Fiber is found in carbohydrates. So if you're eating a lot of fiber, you are feeling satiated for a longer period of time. Fiber takes a long time to go through your digestive system and it can make you feel full. And so you have less of an urge to eat. In a similar vein, it controls blood sugar spikes. So if you don't have these spikes and drops in blood sugar, you're less likely to overeat because you're not craving things. You have a nice steady stream of energy. Fiber also helps support a healthy gut microbiome. So we know from studies over and over again, the best way to support a healthy gut is to eat a diverse diet full of fibrous sources, which come from plants. I feel so full after normal sized meals on the vegan diet that I have just been eating in a natural caloric deficit. Now that being said, if you are not eating a lot of good sources of plant-based protein and you're eating kind of a, I don't want to call it this, but this is what comes to mind, a dirty vegan diet that is mostly processed, simple carbohydrates and sugar, you're not going to get these same benefits and therefore I wouldn't recommend that diet for you if you really don't like whole foods, if you don't really get down with vegetables and fruit, you're more likely going to choose a box of white processed spaghetti with Oreos for dessert. That This might not be the right diet for somebody who's a picky eater when it comes to the fiber sources. It might make it harder to get all the things that you need and you won't be feeling as optimal as you could be if you were eating a whole foods diet. However, let's let's kind of circle back here and remember that whether you're a vegan or not, whether you're eating meat, eating a whole foods diet boasts tons of benefits. And that is one of the first places you need to start if you want to change your weight, change your health, is to look at what you're eating Count how many whole foods you're eating compared to highly processed or manufactured foods and work to increase that whole food amount. I mean, it just makes a world of difference. Probably some of the most understated nutrition advice that you could ever receive. But back to protein. Pea protein powder actually is a wonderful protein supplement for those days where you don't happen to meet those goals. Maybe you don't have a good protein protein food source and you want to use a supplement or if you are doing some kind of athletic training and you just find it to be convenient. I think pea protein personally is the most efficient and it tastes the best. Speaking of supplements, iron and B12 supplements can also be helpful for someone on a vegan diet, especially for females because we lose a lot of our iron stores through menstruation. Iron stores are also lost in intense endurance athletes from that heel strike motion with your foot, okay? You actually lose iron. You're, you're destroying red blood cells. Adult females need 18 milligrams of iron per day, while men only require 8 milligrams. And pregnant women even require more iron. They require 27 milligrams per day. So if you are a pregnant woman, not a pregnant man, if you're a pregnant woman who is doing some endurance training, then we really need to make sure that you are getting adequate iron, especially if you are on a restricted diet, vegan diet, or vegetarian diet. See, not all iron is the same either. What we call heme iron is the most bioavailable. 
That just means it's absorbed more efficiently than its counterpart, non-heme iron. The richest sources of heme iron in the diet come from lean meat and seafood, which are not vegan, <laughs> but the dietary sources of non-heme iron include nuts, beans, vegetables, and fortified grain products. In the United States, actually, about half of our dietary iron comes from bread, cereal, and other grain products that have been fortified. For instance, just for reference, a serving of fibrous fortified cereal has about 18 milligrams of iron, which is that minimum requirement for women. But if you don't get down with grains, most multivitamins also have 18 milligrams if they're just the generic kind, so you could take that as well. In fact, I highly recommend anybody on any kind of restrictive diet supplement with a multivitamin because why the heck not? If you're gluten-free, celiac, or have ulcerative coritis on the vegan diet, meeting your daily needs can be especially difficult, especially as we see a lot of our iron comes from those fortified grains. You need to work with your registered dietitian if you are struggling with iron because you might need some kind of supplementation, and one of our dietitians can really help you get set up with that. Same goes with athletes or pregnant women on a vegan diet. Now, the second most potent source of iron are oysters, which some people, myself included, argue should be included on a vegan diet and in white beans. Both of these things have 8 milligrams per serving. I talk about in episode 41 about why I think oysters should be on a vegan diet. So if you're interested, check that one out after this one. As far as B12, supplementation is highly, highly encouraged for anyone on a vegan diet because vitamin B12 is required for proper red blood cell formation, neurological function, and DNA synthesis. All very, very important for your brain and for your body and for your life, okay? It's naturally found in animal products, including fish, meat, poultry, eggs, milk, and milk products. Vitamin B12 is generally not present in plant foods, but again, those fortified breakfast cereals are a readily available source of vitamin B12 that actually have a pretty high bioavailability. So if you're a vegan and vegetarian, you might want to consider finding or including a low sugar fibrous breakfast cereal or fortified grain into your diet. Now I generally recommend for any vegan who is following the diet for a long period of time to supplement with nutritional yeast daily. It's uh, kind of like a nutty cheese powder, but it's fortified with 100% of the daily value of B12 per serving, which is like one or two tablespoons. You can put it in a lot of things. Now, if your baseline B12 levels are already low and you've gotten your blood labs drawn to prove that, you probably need to supplement to get that back up before you even just disregard that entirely. We want to get those back up to normal and then continue minimum needs supplementation. Again, work with your dietitian or your doctor to help you with that. Now, the body's ability to absorb vitamin B12 from supplements is largely limited by the capacity of what we call the intrinsic factor. So only about 10 MCG of a 500 MCG oral supplement of B12 is actually absorbed in healthy people. So keep that in mind. That's why it's important to get it from food sources. Let's move into another difficulty that I've experienced quite a bit on the vegan diet, and that is limiting where or what you can order when you're dining out. I feel so annoying when I ask people 
how is the food cooked? Does it have this? Was it seared in butter? Blah, blah, blah. I just feel like such a nuisance. But if you are on a vegan diet, you gotta get over that. You know, you have to ask questions if you're serious about it. The good news is every single experience I've had with a waiter or waitress has been pleasant. Nobody seems annoyed. I mean, if they're talking crap behind the counter or in the kitchen about me, fine, so be it. You can't control what people think. But you just kind of have to get over that for you if you are anxious about asking waiters and waitresses and people who serve you food how they cooked it. However, I encourage people not to marry themselves to the rules of a diet if it doesn't impose on your ethical values. Meaning if you want to follow a vegan diet 90% of the time, but you allow for flexibility in social situations, you may not feel as restricted and your quality of life might be better. But ethical debates aside, many people noticed that there are benefits to the vegan diet. These include improved skin or acne. I will say this could be due to the secondary effect of eating less sugar. So if you're eating a whole foods vegan diet, that really limits how many desserts and chocolates you have room for because many of them have dairy product in them. So unless you're actively seeking out those vegan alternatives, you are not eating as much sugar, so that could be improving your your skin. By the way, those vegan dessert alternatives, they have sugar too, okay? They're not healthier just because they're vegan. They just lack eggs or milk or whatever it is. I've noticed this as well on the vegan diet. A benefit is improved digestion. I mean, (laughs) I'll be honest with you guys. My bowel movements have just been wonderful. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. We might talk more about that on the next episode. A lot of people notice they have an improvement in their blood labs or their cholesterol. Again, this could be because they're eating a whole foods diet instead of a standard American diet or the SAD diet. Another benefit is more energy, which again could be from transitioning from a SAD diet to a diet rich in whole foods. So omnivores, you can experience similar benefits if you just eat less processed, sugar, junk, crap, and more whole, healthy foods. Make sense? All right, you're picking up what I'm putting down. I love it. All right, still with me? You still in there? Let's get into the carnivore diet, now called the lion diet. Ooh, yeah, and it's exactly how it sounds, you guys. You can only eat meat on the carnivore diet. Well, and salt and water. Mmm, delicious. And specifically, you can only have grass-fed red meat, but there are some variations to the carnivore diet that permit pasture-raised eggs and poultry and bone broth. But you don't get any veggies, you don't get any fruit, no grains, nothing. It's just it's just meat, meat and water, okay? Now, I have not tried this diet because I am repulsed by red meat. I mean, repulsed. I have not eaten it since I was 14, except one time I was really drunk in high school. And apparently I ate a Frisco melt at Steak and Shake. I can't believe my friends let me order that. I think I was like 17 years old. Sorry, mom. Yes, I was drunk. And I don't remember eating it, but biggest regret. Anyway, I'm too scared to try the the carnivore diet because I would just rather not eat for a week. And that's just my own personal food preference. But the good news is your girl Megan, she did it for a week. She took one for the team. I'm going to link her blog post in the show notes if you want to read all about her carnivore experience, but I'm going to kind of summarize what she wrote about here. Although seriously, go read it. It's, it's fascinating. So this carnivore diet 
It caught wind because of a girl named Michaela Peterson. She's been on the Joe Rogan podcast. She's the daughter of the famous psychologist and author Jordan Peterson. He's from Canada, I believe. And she was extremely vocal about how eating only beef and red meat healed her rheumatoid arthritis, her depression, her skin conditions, her inflammation, her chronic pain, her fatigue. Basically, it was a cure-all for her. She was miserable, and if you hear her story, I don't blame her for eating only meat because it seems to be the only solution for her. So I don't judge her for that at all because the way she felt and the way she was living just sounds like pure hell. So I, you know, if you're interested, look up Michaela Peterson's story. Damn, like it's it's rough. But here's the, the caveat too. She also happened to lean out. Like she's got a hot body, which you know appeals to the weight loss community, those yo-yo dieters. And now I think she's coined the diet as like the lion or the lioness diet. And you might be hearing this diet and you're like, okay, but like if you don't have all this chronic fatigue and pain, why would anybody do this diet? <laughs> you know, I, I ask myself the same questions, but that's where... I go back to that initial rant that I had at the beginning of this episode where it's all right, we got to take ourselves out of the situation and look through the lens of the general population of why people would do anything, right? So for to start, the exact reasons that uh, Michaela initially went on the diet could really appeal to somebody who has tried everything to lessen the side effects of an autoimmune or inflammatory disease. I mean, if you're having pain or rashes and reactions, an elimination diet can help you get to the root of your disease. But, all right, here's where my personal opinion slides in, and it's my personal and professional opinion as a dietitian. An elimination diet need not be so extreme as the carnivore diet. Okay, you can still take out a bunch of foods that you suspect could be triggering your diet one or two at a time and reintroduce them and see if you notice a difference. Yeah, this is timely, but it, it's a lot less restrictive than the carnivore diet. But again, a lot of people are all or nothing type of folks. So the carnivore diet can be really appealing to those extreme, extreme exceptions to the rule. But as you can imagine, eating an only red meat diet would lead to eating less overall, right? You're less likely to snack because it's kind of hard to snack on red meat. You're not indulging. You probably will lose a desire to eat at all because if you're eating the same foods over and over and over again, then it just kind of gets old and you don't really want to eat when you know you're just eating the same thing you had the last eight weeks or whatever, however long you do it. Plus, all that protein would make you feel fuller, longer, and all these things combined would lead to a caloric deficit. And a caloric deficit is often associated with weight loss in a healthy adult. And like the keto diet, the carnivore diet puts you in ketosis. All right? Ketosis is a state in which your body burns fat for fuel in the absence of glucose or carbohydrate. Both the ketogenic diet, which we've talked about in episodes way back when, and the carnivore diet induce fasting, which is just periods of time where you're not eating, extended, you know, extended time periods, and that only accelerates the fat burning. So you're not eating very much, you're only eating meat, you start to go in ketosis, you're going long periods without food. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you're gonna lose body fat pretty darn efficiently. And that's a big pro for people. That's a big positive. 
Another potential positive is, you know, relief of an autoimmune disease or chronic condition. This could really hook people in. And I can see that if somebody was having chronic pain that they could not get rid of and they started a carnivore diet and it healed whatever issues they had, it'd be scary to reintroduce foods. I can see why people would be hesitant. Another positive of this diet could be improved energy or mental clarity. But again, if you just go from a baseline of the standard American diet straight to a carnivore diet and you have all these benefits, well, you know, you can still eat a whole foods diet and experience similar benefits. But that just depends on where the individual was in their life before they started. And I can see why if this is the first thing someone really had success doing and felt results that they would be huge proponents of it. But let's talk about some of the consequences of the carnivore diet, right? Let's talk about sustainability. I mean, what? This would be so freaking hard to maintain long-term. If you are this strict on your diet, you would not be allowed to enjoy alcohol, (laughs) no more cocktails or beer. You couldn't have cake at your family's birthday parties, and you couldn't enjoy a juicy poos poos. Ew, you guys, what's a juicy poos? I meant to say a juicy piece of fruit on a hot summer day. Oh my god, hashtag juicy poos. Ew. (laughs) But whatever. I mean, a lot of carnivores claim that the cravings or the desire for these foods just go away over time, and I can believe that. I mean, if you are not subjecting yourself to alcohol and sugar and carbohydrates all the time, then you might just you lose your taste for it. I don't know. Some people might experience that or some people might experience an even stronger urge to eat them. Depends on the person. And also, there is a lot of ambiguity about the long-term health consequences of following such a strict diet that is going to be high in saturated fat. And I believe that saturated fat is one of the most controversial topics in the world of nutrition. And because this carnivore diet is so freaking new, there is virtually no scientifically backed evidence about the consequences or the health outcomes of following the carnivore diet for a long period of time. So that's where I go back to the beginning of this episode where we have to look at the science information and look at the evidence-based research and compare it to what people are experiencing and make our judgments for ourselves there. Now, per Megan's experiment, she noticed an improvement in her shoulder pain. She writes about that in her her blog. Uh, Changes in her digestion and a very, very quick drop in water weight. So you can imagine that if you started the keto or carnivore diet and you noticed a quick change in your body due to all of that water weight being lost, it can seem like a cure-all and it can be kind of addictive because, I mean, a lot of people are looking for that lean look, but again, this doesn't mean it's the only way to achieve that lean look. Also, Megan compared her lab work after the carnivore diet with her previous experience on the vegan diet, and her LDLC went up by 68 points from one week. So again, I'm linking her blog post. I'm just reading that directly. You can hear her perspective because I don't want to put words in her mouth. But guys, that concludes the two extreme diet comparisons. But I want to share something with you guys before I send you on your way. You can be a plant-based eater who mainly eats vegan, but also enjoys ice cream or a filet now and then. And if you feel best on a high-fat, protein-rich diet, well, then you can eat 
keto and not feel bad about yourself if you indulge in an apple now and then, right? God forbid you indulge in an apple. And if you find the carnivore diet helps with, you know, your autoimmune disease, then by all means, do it. It's your right as a human. You can eat however you want. But just don't shit on everyone else for eating a different way. That goes for everyone. I mean, if you're not a vegan, shut up. Like, let unless somebody's spouting pure quackery and putting people in danger, which, yeah, there are people doing that, you know, shouting out false claims and, and whatnot, and that's not cool. But if someone's going to be a vegan, just live and let live, you know, and same if somebody's going to eat keto. I mean, if they feel great, who are you to tell them that they don't feel great, Okay. The truth is there is no universal perfect diet. There are diets with better proven outcomes, sure, like the Mediterranean diet. I mean, that's like the gold standard in the nutrition world, I feel like. But like I said, nutrition science is so spanking new that if eating a certain way makes you feel your best in the here and the now, go for it. And as a consumer, it's your responsibility to understand potential consequences and it's my responsibility as a registered dietitian, to share that with you, to share that with the public, to let you know that, hey, if you eat this way, you can expect this, this, and this, and here are ways that you can really make sure you keep yourself healthy and that you don't put yourself at risk. So for instance, if you want to be on the vegan diet, here's the things that you specifically need to do based on your diet, based on your lifestyle, based on your goals, based on your exercise, your sleep, your stress, blah, 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 to make sure that you go out in the world and perform at your best. I also suggest that you don't marry yourself to a diet for life, right? Just because you want to eat a plant-based vegan diet right now does not mean that you have to die a vegan or otherwise you're some huge fraud. I encourage you to leave room for flexibility in your diet because as science advances and your life changes, you shouldn't be married and devoted to one single way of eating because what happens if your way of eating is proved to be unhealthy or it actually is manifesting in negative ways in your life? It'd be really, really hard to walk away from that if you've built your whole identity on a certain way of eating. So don't do that, okay? I know plenty of people who used to be vegan or used to be keto who loosened the reins a little bit and found balance. They played around, they talked to a dietitian, they really got their own personal dietary questions and needs fulfilled and they don't feel so strongly about one way of the other. So I know a lot of you guys are listening to this and you're feeling a bit lost. I get that, which is why I wanted to invite anybody who is seeking help with weight loss or knowing how to eat for his or her needs to just go ahead and book a consultation with us. I mean, save yourself the time, save yourself the weird trial and error, work with us. I'll link our website below. It's orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. Our process is very individualized, you guys. I mean, like I said a gazillion trillion times, there is not one universal perfect diet. Our job is to help you figure out what kind of diet is going to take you to the next level. How can you eat in a way that's going to get you close to your goals, to make you feel better, to help you lose weight if that's what you're looking for, improve your energy, your mood, improve your health outcomes, you know, lessen the symptoms of chronic diseases, diabetes, heart disease, whatever it is, we got you. We got you, okay? So again, I will put that below. It's orlandodietitian.com. We can meet you in person 
if you are local to the Central Florida area, or we can go ahead and do a virtual consult over video chat or phone. So when you book, it gives you that option. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I enjoyed talking about this information. It's always fun for me. This is the kind of stuff I live for. Like I geek out on this stuff. Like I'm hyped up right now. I'm about to go eat me a vegan lunch. I'm thinking a tofu burger with quinoa, with kale and some cauliflower I roasted. And yeah, so I'm gonna sign off and go enjoy that. I will catch you guys on the next episode. Adios. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. For topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest, please email kate at orlandodietitian.com. Want more nutrition awareness? Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real and keep it healthy.